Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today we're starting a series, and the series is called Killing What's Killing You. And the name of this series was taken from a book uh, written by a man named John Owen. And John Owen was a theologian and a preacher and a pastor. And he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. So if you are looking for a light, easy read this summer, you're going to sit on the beach and read something, I would not recommend The Mortification of Sin. Uh, It is a challenging read. It is difficult, but it is excellent. It's chock full of so many uh, really valuable truths. And one of the things that John Owen says in that book is he says, always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So what he's saying is, if we are not actively pushing back against sin in our lives, sin will continue to pursue us and continue to work negatively in our lives. So for many of us, we have been led to believe this lie, this myth, that if we just say a prayer one time, um, then our lives will be perfect. Our marriages will be perfect. Everything will come together magically and perfectly, and that's the way it'll be, and that's just not the case. Uh, what What we'll see in just a little bit is, What we are living out in our faith, I believe, is what would be called progressive sanctification. And what that means is we're not instantly sanctified and made perfect, but it's a process ongoing over time. And what God does is he works in our hearts and he marginalizes sin and he gives us a greater affection for him and a greater devotion to him. And we begin to value things the way he values them. We begin to look more like him over time as we're submitted to God. But that doesn't happen immediately. So as a result, we continue to battle sin. We continue to let God work in our hearts. And in Western culture, really, when we talk about sin, it's not very popular because we don't like that. We're uncomfortable with it. And really, many times we marginalize sin because we'll say, well, the big sins are obviously bad. Murder, adultery, you know, the big ones, stealing, those are big. Uh, My sins aren't really that bad. I mean, mine are, are lightweight stuff. It's just, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little pornography. It's just a little whatever it is, whatever yours is. We go, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal. But Jesus takes sin very, very seriously. Uh, I won't read this passage to you, but it's in uh, Matthew chapter five. It's during the Sermon on the Mount. It's verse 27 through 30. Basically, Jesus says, um, hey, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and most people would agree with that statement. So he says, you've heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery. And he says, but I'm telling you, Not only don't commit adultery, but don't look at a woman lustfully, because if you do, it's just as bad as committing adultery. And this is a big deal, because what Jesus is doing is he's raising the standard. He's making it harder for them, because it was easy to go, well, yeah, I'm just not going to sleep with a woman who's not my wife, right? That seems like it should be pretty easy, but Jesus goes, no, 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 that's not enough that you just behave correctly. He says, it's now a matter of your heart. And so he takes this a step even further. And he says, and this is such a big deal that if you look at a woman lustfully, it's a sin. So he says, it's better for you if you would pluck your eye out of your skull than for you to lust. If you came to church today and I just preached that with no context, and I just said, if you're lusting, you need to, you need to pluck your eyeball out of your head. You would leave and think I was crazy, wouldn't you? You'd be like, that guy is an extremist. He's got issues, Right? But Jesus says this. He says, it is better for you to pluck your eyeball out of your head than to lust if it's making you sin. 
And he goes on to say, and if your hand is causing you to sin, it's better for you to chop it off. So I think you can gather from this statement that Jesus takes sin very seriously. He does not make light of sin because he understands what it does to us, the effects that sin has on us. And he understands um, how it erodes our hearts and lives, what it does to us in so many different ways. When we talk about, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about uh, being one with Christ, here in our church we talk about reconciliation, being reconciled to Christ. And you hear that often, and I'll mention it today even several times. Um, but if you're going to be reconciled to someone, that has to indicate that there's been a, a break at some point. So if you're going to reconcile a relationship, it seems to indicate that at some point there was a breaking of the relationship. And that is exactly true. What we see in Scripture is all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, we see Adam and Eve were in the garden. Things were good. And not to make it really awkward for you, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, at the very end, it says that, that Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. So many jokes I could make right now, but I'm not going to. That is evidence that I'm maturing in Christ. So they were naked and unashamed. What it means is they had no shame at all. They were totally innocent. They had no reason to be aware of, that. hey, this should be awkward for us, right? Because sin hadn't yet entered into the world. So things were exactly as God had intended them. Move to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we see Satan come to Adam and Eve in the form of a snake. And he asked them this question. He basically asked them the question, do you think God's holding out on you? Do you think God has something better for you, but he's just not giving it to you? Maybe your life would be better if you didn't submit to what God has for you. Maybe if you did your own thing, if you followed your own heart and you went your own way, your life would be better. Maybe God's just restricting you. Maybe God's trying to keep you from something good. He's asking them this, these questions, and it doesn't look exactly like that, but that's really what he's asking. And the thing that's so interesting to me is Satan is still asking the same questions today. He's still doing the same thing. This is the oldest trick in the book, literally. And he's asking us the same question. Do you think God's holding out on you? Man, your life would be better if you would just do this. You know, if you would go your own way, you know, if you wouldn't submit to that, you would have more fun, it would be better. You deserve this. And we still believe the lie. We can criticize Adam and Eve for their foolishness, but we're just as foolish today. We still pursue what we want. We still ignore what God wants. And we think that if we just do what we want, we're gonna find true fulfillment, true happiness, true peace, true joy, whatever it is. And it's a lie. So what we see here in chapter three then is there are consequences to their behavior. There's consequences to their sinful decision, their rebellion against God. And what happens is uh, there are some natural consequences. So what we see is... Um, well, God says to the woman, there's now going to be pain in childbirth. Sorry, ladies, that one's a tough one. There's now pain in childbirth, okay? So it's, gonna, it's not going to feel good when you have that baby. It's not going to be easy any longer. It's going to be difficult. Um, and now uh, there's going to be problems with the soil. Before, Adam, you would, you would take the fruit from the soil and the vegetables and the things that grew up, you would just gather it. You still had to work, but now you're going to have to work hard to get the, the ground to produce life for you. And now it's not just going to produce fruit and vegetables and beautiful things. It's also going to produce thorns and thistles. So now the, the ground is going to contend against you. Nature is contending against you. 
So what we see is, is, is this cosmic consequence that broke all of creation because sin entered into the world. Now what we see is um, there is contention between man and nature in many ways. In fact, what we see is uh, God says to the woman that there's now enmity between you and the serpent. And I want to say for the record, it's not just between the woman and the serpent. I've got some enmity with serpents too. Is anybody glad to see a snake around your house? Not me. If you, if you are, what about if it was in your house? Then you'd get a little more nervous. It's funny because my mom... Uh, after my dad passed, she takes care of the property now, and there's a couple acres there, and she mows the whole thing and takes care of it, and uh, she's keeping a runny tally on how many snakes she's killed this year, and she's up to eight now, and so uh, it's funny, though, because, you know, there are some people that will say things like, oh, no, 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 don't kill that snake. It's a good snake. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody like that? Never, ever trust that person, Okay. <laughs> Those people are never to be your friends, okay? Uh, they say, no, it's a good snake. It's a good, and there is no such thing as good snakes. The only good snake is the dead snake. If it has its head chopped off, that's my favorite kind of snake. But I acknowledge there's some snakes that aren't venomous and they would get rid of rodents. And so whenever I ask my mom, what kind of snake was it? <laughs> Almost every time she'll be like, it was a king cobra. I was like, yeah, probably. They're very common in the state of Oklahoma, I hear. So especially those 10 inch varieties and woo, they're dangerous. But the point is, it doesn't matter, right? She doesn't care what kind of snake it is. She's killing the snake because there's enmity, and we're making light of this, but there's enmity between us and creation, us and nature. And what I want you to see today, what we're gonna do is, is I wanna talk about some of the effects of sin today. Um, I wanna talk about what it is, what it looks like, and, and then over the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack some, some specific sins and what that means for us and, and how it impacts us. So, so today, I just want to look at some of the, the effects of sin. And so there's four things, and if you're writing this down, the first one is this. Sin alienates man from nature. So what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that man is alienated from nature, from creation. There's this gap, there's this distance between us now, where once man was one with nature, now there's this distance, there's contention between. And it's not just that there's contention between man and nature, but, but nature has been subjected to this, this curse of sin as well. So it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what we see here is even creation has been subjected to the bondage that comes with sin. When sin entered the world, creation was bound up. And what, what we see here is that creation is longing for the day that, that God will return, Jesus will return, and reconcile not just man, not just humans to himself, but it will reconcile all of creation back to himself. What we see in scripture is that, that, that creation is groaning with the, the pains of labor pains, is what it describes it as. And what it's, what it's talking about is there's this groaning and there's this painful period in expectation that something's going to be birthed. And what's going to be birthed is the reconciliation of humanity and of creation back to God. And so there's this expectation, there's this longing, there's this waiting that even creation itself is subjected to, that it is waiting for the moment that it's set free from the bondage of sin. 
So we see, first of all, sin alienates man from nature. Number two, sin alienates man from God. So what we see in, in Genesis is that man and God were very close. They were intimate. They talked as I would talk to you face to face. And they were near each other physically in proximity. They would walk together. And then when man sins, they recognize their nakedness. They recognize their sinfulness. They cover themselves with fig leaves. They go and hide. God shows up. And now he's still with them. But there is a distance. There's an alienation. There's a separation there. I think the best way for me to explain it would be like this. If you've ever borrowed something from someone, maybe it was money, maybe it was an item of some kind, the, the, the awkwardness that comes with not being able to give it back, not being able to pay it back, and you see them, and maybe it's a family member, somebody you love, they still love you, they still care about you, but now there's this weird space between you. And you're not really sure how to act and what to say and what does our relationship look like? Do you still love me? Do you still, I don't know. It's all this stuff, all this baggage in this relationship has created a divide. And this is what we see here. This sin has entered the world and it alienated man from God. It separated man from God. So once where they were once connected and they were in relationship and they were close to each other, now there's this gap, there's a separation where it's awkward and it's weird and... I don't really know how to act, and I don't really know how you feel, and that's how it is. Now, if you read James 4.4, 4, it says this. It says, uh, James is writing to the church, and he says, you adulterous people, and he's not calling them fit, literal adulterers. He's not saying that you have slept with someone who was not your spouse. What he's saying is, this is a, a spiritual. You're a spiritual adulterer. You were supposed to be given to God, but you've given yourself to others, is what he's saying. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what he's saying is, we can't have it both ways. If we have a deep affection for the things of this world, we probably do not have the kind of affection we need for God. And if we love God well, we're going to love the people of this world, but we're not going to long for this world. There should be a difference. And unfortunately, there are too many people who call themselves Christians who love this world more than they should. That this world is what their lives are really all about. That, that church attendance is something they've squeezed in on the weekend, watching church online, that's something they do, but, but what they're really about are the things of this world. Their hearts are in alignment with this world instead of God. And as a result, they're not really friends of God. One of the things that we say in church is, um, especially when I was younger, I would use the language, you know, talk about being saved. And we still do some around here. And when I was younger, I used to think, um, this, that this word saved was used in the context of hell. I'm being saved from hell. That Jesus came to rescue me from a, an eternal damnation, spending eternity in hell. And what I've come to realize is that's not exactly the case. Uh, and I don't want to mess you up with what I'm about to say, but, but I, I, I want you to hear this. Um, God sent Jesus to save us from God. See, one of the things we do, especially in Western culture, we think of God as this just big, benevolent, loving old grandpa. 
and he's got a big beard. He kind of looks like Santa, but he's probably in better shape. Like he's cut out the carbs and you know, like <laughs> he doesn't have the belly like Santa. So he's in better shape than Santa, but he looks kind of like Santa. And he's just a good old grandpa. That's what he is. And I don't know about you, but when I send my kids to the grandparents' house, when they come home, I've got to deprogram my kids. Does anybody else have to do that? It's like, well, no, you can't stay up till 1.30 in the morning. You gotta go to bed on time. No, you can't have ice cream for breakfast, you, right? <laughs> One time when we were living in Oklahoma, I met my mother-in-law. I'm telling on my mother-in-law. Jan, if you're watching, I'm, I'm sorry and I love you. Uh, so I met my mother-in-law halfway. My kids had been with the grandparents, my, my in-laws, and I met them halfway. I was bringing them back. And we stopped at this place called Brahms Ice Cream and Dairy Store. And I love Brahms. It's an Oklahoma original. And so we stopped and we're getting lunch. And at the end of lunch, I go, hey, you guys want ice cream? Yeah. And so I went and we got ice cream. We're sitting there eating our ice cream. And I mean, the girls were little. And I think Abby looked at me and she says, daddy, this is the third ice cream we've had today. <laughs> it's 1230. <laughs> And, and my mother-in-law just went, <laughs> like, sorry, but you know. And this is the way we envision God sometimes. Because if he loves us, he's going to give us what, he, what we want. If he really loves us, he's never going to tell us no. If he really loves us, right? And there's something about that, that yes, God is loving. God is crazy about you. He's been chasing after you since the beginning of time. He loves you. But what we fail to take into account is God is also righteous and holy and just. And because he is all those things, he cannot abide sin, even in people he loves desperately. And so what happens is people who he loves decide to make a decision. They do their own thing because of free will. They, they choose a path that's contrary to God and God doesn't send people to hell. People choose a different path and the consequence is hell. So God doesn't send people to hell. He definitely doesn't do it with a smile. His heart is broken when people end up in hell. He, I believe there's a tear in his eye every time someone wakes up on the other side of eternity and they're spending eternity in, in hell. Because our God loves us, but he's also just and righteous and holy. So what we see is God sent Jesus to save us from God, from his wrath, from his judgment. And what happens is sin alienates you and I from a holy God. And because of that, there is a gap in our relationship. We owe a debt we could never pay to our God. But by the grace of God, what he's done is he sent Jesus to pay that debt for us. He has eradicated our debt so that we could be reconciled to God again. But sin ultimately alienates man from God. Sin also alienates man from man. If you're offended by me saying man for man, human for human, how about that? And this sounds like such a preacher thing to say. Every broken relationship you have can be traced back to a sinful thought, idea, or action. Every single one. Every conflict in relationship that you have, I believe 100% can, can be traced back to something that's sinful, even if it's just a tiny seed. Um, my girls are older. Uh, Abby graduated. She started college this year, which is crazy. Emma's starting high school, so they're not little kids anymore. 
But I remember my, when my girls were little. And in the middle of the night, you know, that's six months, seven months old, they would wake up and you'd hear them on the baby monitor. Maybe, maybe you had your child in the room in a, in a bassinet or something like that and you hear the baby cry. And if you're married, you understand what happens next. What happens next is you lay totally still and you hope your spouse will get up and take care of the baby, right? If you're smart, you've trained yourself to continue breathing normally even after you wake up. So like the deep breath, you keep doing it, but you don't move. Oh, I'm aware. Keep breathing, focus on the breathing. Yeah, you keep the rhythms going and you're just waiting. Maybe they, you know, you do whatever you gotta do. You know what comes next? Conflict, right? Why did you ever get up with a baby? Well, I mean, uh, 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 right? What are, you, what are you talking about? So what's happened essentially? I wake up, I hear the baby. I could have gotten the baby, but what I've done is I've prioritized my rest over my spouse's rest. I've said my needs are more important than her needs, right? And what I've done in that moment, it's a sinful desire for getting what I want instead of giving somebody else what they want. It's putting myself first above someone else. Um, this morning when I was leaving my house, I was pulling onto 7th Street in Indiana and there was a car coming north and I just waited there for a minute and let them go and then I pulled out. And, and I thought about this and I've shared this with you in the past, but I've never, ever, ever been in traffic and been flipped off when I waved someone in. I've never had somebody say, why'd you let me go first, jerk? Right, and then they give me the thumb, or the, the, the number one sign with a finger. Like, you're number one. That's not what they're really saying, but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> now it's never happened. But it's happened plenty of times when I decided, no, nah, I can't let you in, I'm going. Right? Why? Because this principle is true. When I go first, there's a possibility for conflict. But when you go first, there's a possibility of relationship. I never go wrong when I put someone else first. And what we're really talking about is sinfulness. When I'm looking out for myself, when I'm trying to do best for myself, when I'm try trying to take care of myself at the expense of others, that's sinful. And it brings conflict and it brings alienation between people. It causes people to have dysfunction in their relationship and issues and problems. And it all is rooted in this fact that I'm being selfish or you're being selfish or we are both being selfish. In James chapter four, verse one, I read verse four a minute ago. Let's back up to verse one. James says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are a war within you? And passions here means selfish desires. So he's saying, what's causing the problems in your relationships? What's causing this, this wake of dysfunctional relationships behind you? It's because you're being selfish. So when we're being selfish, when we put ourselves above others, what happens is, it alienates people. It's hard to have a healthy relationship with somebody who's selfish, does, isn't it? When somebody is only looking out for themselves, they only talk about themselves, they only think about themselves, it makes it tough to be in a good relationship. And I'm telling you, sin alienates us from the people around us. Fourth thing is this, sin alienates man from himself. And this sounds like the ultimate Dr. Phil thing to say, but it's true. Uh, I can't know who I am if I don't know who I am in Christ. If my top identity is not as a child of God, then everything is gonna be a little bit off. If my top identity is that of my ethnicity or my 
heritage or my nationality or my socioeconomic class or my political party, anything else other than child of God, everything else is broken. It's, it's something even Paul talks about. It's interesting because he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul, who wrote a, a significant portion of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, says, wretched man that I am. What he's saying is, I am so wicked. What he says in some of his letters is, I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I, I, I do something stupid. I go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I act that way? I can't believe I would do that. And what we're saying is, I'm so stupid. Why would I do that? And Paul has the same moment where he goes, man, wretched man that I am. Got this body of flesh. Ah, oh, right? What he's saying is, when sin is resident in me, it alienates me from who God really wants me to be who I was destined to be, except sin entered in. And so what it does is it alienates us even from ourselves. So there's this dissatisfaction within us. It doesn't matter what we do or what we accomplish or what we achieve or what we accumulate. None of it matters because there's still this longing in us that we're never quite enough. It's because sin alienates us from ourselves. <laughs> so I've got bad news and good news. What do you want to hear first? Bad, bad news, good. Okay, bad news, that was my introduction to this message today. The good news is, the rest of this message is pretty short, so bear with me. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, and I would encourage you, if this message is resonating with you, read all of 1 John. It's only five chapters, but read 1 John. Uh, 1 John was written by uh, John the disciple, who also wrote, uh, the, he was the son of Zebedee, he also wrote the Gospel of John. And this is what he says in John chapter three, verse four. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So a couple of things I want you to notice. I want you to pay attention every time we heard the word practice over these next few verses. We're gonna hear it several times. We'll come back to that. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what we see here is this word sin. In the Greek word, it's hemartia. And hemartia means to miss the mark. It means to err, to make a mistake, uh, to wander from the path or to do or go wrong. But this first, this first definition, to miss the mark, there's this connotation of, of archery. That if you've ever shot a bow, an arrow before, uh, you understand you're shooting at a mark. There's a target and you're trying to hit the spot in the middle. The closer you can get to the middle, the better shot you are. And what he's saying is this, this word sin has a connotation of, of not hitting the standard, not hitting the mark, not doing what you're supposed to be able to do. So what we see here is that it's, it's a mistake. We also see that this word hemartia has a connotation that it can be used, that it's an abandonment of the law. So not only is there this understanding that maybe it's a mistake, like, okay, I know what the standard is, I was just off a little bit, but there's this also this understanding that maybe it's just an abandonment. Maybe we just go, I don't care what the law is, I'm gonna do my own thing. So when we talk about sin, I want you to understand there's two ways we look at it, two ways we're gonna talk about it. Um, the first is, as a believer, and like I said earlier, I sin every day. I make a mistake every day. I've got to repent every day. I don't lose my salvation every day, but I have to repent every day and go, God, 
I'm still doing stupid things, so help me. God, I made a mistake today, so help me with that. that those are the times we just miss the mark. We're shooting for the mark, but we miss it. It's an honest mistake. But we're moving in the right direction. The other is the abandonment of the law. The, the other is where we go, I don't care what the law says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do whatever I want to. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I deserve it because, and what we're doing is the same thing that Adam and Eve did at the beginning, is they decided to go their own way. God's holding out on me. If he was really good, he would let me, right? I deserve it because my relationship with my spouse is a mess, so I deserve this other relationship. I deserve whatever it is. We are abandoning the law. I don't know if you saw this. Did anybody see in the Indiana Gazette that they now have a speeder of the week? Did anybody see this? I'm not exaggerating. They, they had the guy's name in there. He was going like 92 and a 55. It was kind of crazy. Now, I don't know if they're encouraging this. It's like a contest. <laughs> Some of you are like, all right. Finally be recognized for what I'm good at, right? <laughs> well, what did this guy do? He's going 90, I think it was 92 and a 55. What was he doing? He knew what the speed limit was. He knew it wasn't 92, right? So what he said is, I don't care what the law is. I'm going to do what I want to do. And this is the abandonment of the law where we go, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna do my own thing. But when we talk about missing the mark, what is the mark? Well, the mark and the standard is the law. And we know that we can't be good enough to meet the restrictions and the requirements of the law on our own. We can't try hard enough to do it. That's why God had to send Jesus to fulfill the requirements of the law for us. He had to pay the price for our sins that we couldn't pay, pay that debt so that the law could be fulfilled. So, so what is the, the mark? It's the law. So we're going to miss the mark. Even if it's an innocent mistake, or maybe even worse, that it's an abandonment of the law. And we go, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's what I want to focus on today as we finish this up. Verse 5 says, you know that he appeared, talking about Jesus, in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So what he says is he's drawing this line and he's saying, if you say you're in him, but you're still sinning, you're not in him. And if, if, you are, if you're sinning, then you have neither known or seen him. There is no relationship there. That's what he says. He goes on to say in verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. <laughs> That's pretty hardcore, right? It's one thing for me to go, yeah, you probably made a mistake. It's another thing for me to say, you know what? You might be the son of the devil. <laughs> Some of you just found a new way to describe your spouse. You're, you're the, you might be the son of the devil. Let me move on. I'm just trying to help marriages here. <laughs> Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now listen to this part. He says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love this so much. I want you to hear this. Heaven and hell are real. The devil, Satan, is real. And Satan is out to undermine you. He wants to rob you of joy, rob you of peace. He wants to get you off of track, to derail you from God's purposes and plans for your life. And he is working against you. And Jesus came not just to save you to heaven, not just to help you have um, an eternity in glory, but he... He came to destroy the works of the devil. So what the devil is doing to undermine and destroy you, Jesus is actively working against that. I want you to know you've got an advocate. You've got somebody fighting for you 
to destroy the, the, the works of the enemy. When the enemy is pushing against you, he is pushing back. Not only did he come to save you or take away your sins, as we saw in verse 5, but he, he came, he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. So this is where we break it down. He goes, here's the evidence of who loves God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he says this, do you want to know who loves God and who doesn't love God? The people who don't practice righteousness, they don't love God. The people who don't love their brother, they don't love God. That's pretty hardcore. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Now, I told you about the word practice earlier. And the word practice it's used several times in this passage in the English Standard Version. Um, and, and the word practice here is a Greek word. It's poieo. And poieo means to produce, to be the author of, to make a thing out of something. To produce, be the author of, make something out of something. You know, earlier, Pastor Steph, she said, everything we have came from God. And I think most of you would agree that anything I have in my life is because God has given it to me. Talents, abilities, gifts, breath, everything came from God. And so one of the definitions of this word practice is to make a thing out of something. So I guess my question is, what are you making out of what God has given you? Because when we see this word practice, what we're really talking about is producing. And what what we see here that John is saying is it doesn't matter what we say what matters is what is produced from our lives so we can say we're Christians and we can come to church or watch online we can do whatever we want to do but what is being produced in our lives is evidence of our affection it's evidence of what we're really after do we love this world or do we love God is is, is righteousness being produced out of my life or is sin being produced out of my life are the relationships around me more broken because of me or are they more reconciled because of me? Are the people around me healthier because of our interaction or are they, they more broken because of our interaction? What is being produced from me? Because what is in you is revealed by what's produced from you. So you wanna know what's in you? Take a look back. And ask yourself, what's being produced? What's come out of my life? So that's my question for you today. What's being produced from you? What's coming out of your life? What are, what are the effects? Is it healthier? Is it broken? Because God didn't just send Jesus to save you, to get you to heaven. He sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. He sent Jesus to, to, to move in our lives, to realize who God really is, to, to be reconciled to him so that our world could be reconciled to him as well. Salvation is not just about being good and being nice. It's about our hearts being transformed. That's why Jesus said, it's not enough for you just to be good and behave, be nice. 
He's saying, I want your hearts to be right too. And the only way we can be reconciled to God is by having our hearts transformed, our hearts made different. That's when we're reconciled to God. That's when everything else begins to change. So I wanna ask you again, what's being produced from your life? Because what is being produced from your life is evidence of what's going on in your heart. So maybe you're here today and you've never really been reconciled to God. You've never been in a relationship with God. That's okay, I want you to know something. I said this earlier, God is not looking to punish you. He wants to be reconciled to you. He's been in hot pursuit of your soul since the beginning of time because he loves you so much. He wants to be reconciled to you today. So if you're here today and you say, I've I've never really been in a relationship with God, today's your day. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I believe I'm a Christian. Man, you were talking about some things that stirred some things up in my heart. I realize now that some of the things I'm producing in my life aren't healthy. They're not godly. And I need the Holy Spirit to to check some things in my heart. And I need some help with some things. I want to pray for you too. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes over this room. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to pay the debt we could never pay. The debt of sin. Lord, thank you that he willingly took the weight of sin on himself and carried that and paid that for us. God, I pray that we would not take sin lightly in our own lives. I pray that we would be actively pushing back against it and fighting against it. Lord, I pray that we would be killing what's killing us. Lord, I pray for those that are here that don't know you and aren't in a relationship with you, let today be the day they surrender it all. They trust you as Lord and they're reconciled to you. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are Christians, they're believers, but they've recognized that there's some things being produced in their lives that probably shouldn't be. Lord, I pray today they would repent, that they would turn back to you, they'd surrender it all. So Lord, I pray that we would not just go through the motions, we wouldn't just do good things, we wouldn't just show up to church, but God, let us be transformed for your glory. So God, have your way with us and speak through us. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I I recognize what's being produced in my life is not righteous. There's some problems. There's some issues. I recognize that. And I want God to change me. I want to be reconciled to God today. What I'm going to do is I want to pray with you in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want you to pray this final prayer with me. So if you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I need to be made right with God. I need to surrender my life to him. And and I want to be cleansed of my sin. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Yeah, over here on my right. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. On my far right, I see you. Praise God. Yeah. On my left, I see you. Thank you. Thank you both. I appreciate it. you. Can put your hand down, gentlemen. Praise the Lord. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me today. Include me in this final prayer. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Yeah, I see you on my right. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in this final prayer.
The Word of God tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So whether you are saying this prayer for the first time or maybe you're rededicating your life anew to God today, I want you to pray this prayer with boldness. I want you to pray this prayer with confidence. And those of you that are watching online, I want you to pray this prayer with us as well. So repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus your only son to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I am your child. And I'm committed to follow you. Use my life to bring you glory from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know, Scripture tells us that you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you're here in the room, there's a couple things you could do. Uh, if, you, if you would like and you feel comfortable, take the card out of the seat back in front of you and fill out the side of the card that says salvation. Let us know that you are making this decision to return to Christ or maybe come to him for the first time. Uh, we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. The other thing you can do if you're watching online or here in the room and you'd like to, uh, you can simply text the word different to the number 94000. So text different to the number 94,000. What happens is we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get you resources. We're gonna get you a Bible. And we're gonna help you take the next step. So if you would, please take advantage of that. We would love to help you begin to grow in your faith. So thank you so much for being a part. Um, guys, this weekend has been incredible. Um, we've seen 15 people this weekend make a decision and return to Christ or surrender their lives to Christ for the first time. That is why we exist as a church, to see lives made different for the glory of God. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you need prayer today for any reason at all, our prayer team is not available to pray in person with you, but prayer doesn't end. We're gonna continue to pray. And so if you have any kind of prayer need, please let us know about that. You can email your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church. Let us know about that. Our prayer team, our prayer chain, our staff will all be praying for you and your need. If you're watching online and you'd like somebody to pray with you right now, if you're watching from our, our uh, church online platform, you can simply hit the live prayer button and one of our hosts will pray with you right now in person. So we would love to do that with you online as well. So let us know what's going on in you. We'd love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. So thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. Let me pray one final prayer over you before we're dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for seven people today and in this service who have said yes to you, that have recommitted their lives to you, that have surrendered their lives to you. God, we celebrate that and we know that there's a party in heaven going on right now. So God, thank you for lives that have changed and transformed for your purposes and your plans. God, we love you and we celebrate with you for that. God, I pray for those that are here, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would walk out here with, uh, up here with a sense of boldness and passion, knowing that you have saved us, not just to get to heaven, but God, you have saved us to destroy the works of the devil. So Lord, I pray that we would be in the business of killing sin in our own lives and destroying the works of the devil in this world. So Lord, I pray that you'd make us active participants in your purposes and plans. Help us not be content just sitting on the sidelines, but God, include us. Help us get involved in whatever you wanna do through us this week. So God, let your glory shine through us at work, at school, among our neighbors and friends. And I pray that you would be glorified in ways that we can't even imagine as we walk out of this place today, this week. Use us for your purposes and plans. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.